On Tuesday, renowned legal journal Cosmopolitan Magazine ran a piece titled Nine Ways to Make Your Man Gasp in Bed. No, actually, they could have run that piece, but we know that they actually ran a piece titled Nine Reasons Constitutional Originalism is Bull Bleep. Written by NYU graduate Jill Filipovich, the article evidences all of the brilliant jurisprudential analyses we've come to expect from the journal that informs you which sex positions best tickle your significant other properly. Here are Filipovich's nine critiques. One, no one is really an originalist. Filipovich argues that judges don't actually pay attention to the original wording and meaning of the Constitution, instead substituting their own policy preferences. As evidence, she chooses D.C. versus Heller, a decision that re-enshrined the individual right to keep and bear arms. Why isn't that originalist? Because, Filipovich says, the founders meant to restrict arms ownership militia members and didn't know what handguns were. There's a direct quote. Nor, of course, did handguns exist in the 18th century. Both of these contentions are false. Militia members were members of the community. There are many state laws that required all able-bodied men of age to own a gun so as to be available for militia duty. The militia clause is a justifying clause, not an operative one. And handguns were in use um, as early as the 14th century. Two, societies evolve, and that's a good thing. Filipovich argues that scientific knowledge should impact how we interpret the Constitution. For example, brain science should help determine what the founders meant by cruel and unusual punishment. But we have legislatures for that. The Constitution bans cruel and unusual punishment, but legislatures can outlaw certain tools. She mixes up the role of the courts to apply the meaning of the law and that of the legislature to make policy. She even says she hopes the courts would rule capital punishment unconstitutional on this basis, even though the Constitution clearly contemplates capital punishment multiple times. Third, words evolve to reflect changing norms. Filipovich says that words like equal meant something different in the 1790s than they mean now, particularly with regard to women and minorities. She is right. This is why America implemented constitutional amendments in order to enshrine those new meanings, as per the 14th Amendments for black folks and the 19th Amendment for female folks. It is not the job of courts to rewrite meaning. Four, technology evolves and the law has to keep up. Filipovich argues it's difficult to apply constitutional principles to modern technology. So, for example, the provisions of the Constitution guaranteeing liberty from unreasonable search and seizure, how would they apply to cars or wiretaps? These are indeed controversial propositions in originalist circles, but that doesn't mean we ought to merely ignore what the framers intended, in principle, in order to reach our own policy preferences. Fifth, originalism is a cover for legal discrimination. Again, this ignores the fact that we have legislatures in this country. You can't rewrite founding documents to implement your own version of utopia. Filipovich says correctly that, quote, a lot of our laws originally allowed a lot of terrible acts. This is true. It is also the reason we have, you guessed it, legislatures and amendments. She says that Plessy versus Ferguson, which said segregation was okay and was reversed by Brown versus Board of Education, is a good example of courts evolving. She ignores the fact that Plessley was arguably wrongly decided on his merits at the time. That's the case Justice Scalia made during his career, stating that, quote, in my view, the 14th Amendment's requirement of equal protection of the laws, combined with the 13th Amendment's abolition of the institution of black slavery, leaves no room for doubt that laws treating people differently because of their race are invalid. Even if Scalia was wrong on originalist grounds, that doesn't mean the legislature could not or should not have taken the proper measures. Again, courts are not legislatures. And just because history was full of bad stuff doesn't mean the Constitution doesn't provide mechanisms to fix that bad stuff outside of Jill Filipovich convincing Ruth Bader Ginsburg to run roughshod over the republic. Sixth contention, not even the founders were originalists. This is just horse crap. Filipovich says, quote, the framers of the Constitution didn't offer any instructions for how to interpret the document. Actually, it's dubious whether the founders even agreed with judicial review. But if they did, there's no doubt they would have hated the court's usurpation of legislative power. See, for example, Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 78, quote, the courts must declare the sense of the law. And if they should be disposed to exercise will instead of judgment, the consequence would be equally the substitution of their pleasure to that of the legislative body. The observation, if it prove anything, would prove there ought not be any judges distinct from that body. All laws are applied as written. No judge would dare interpret the Sherman Antitrust Act the way leftists encourage judges to interpret the Constitution. Seventh contention from Cosmo Magazine. The founders weren't fortune tellers and couldn't predict every possible legal issue. Here, Filipovich states that, quote, many of the realities of modern life didn't exist in the 18th century. That's true. You know who else knew that? The founders, because they relied on legislatures to create law. Filipovich makes the idiotic assessment that if you're an originalist, if the founders, quote, didn't specifically bar the government from doing something, the government is free to do it. That's insane. 
That looks only to the Bill of Rights, not to the structural constitution, which delegates powers. The founders explicitly rejected Filipovich's logic and said so in the Ninth Amendment, which reserved rights to the states and to the people. As for Filipovich's example of governments doing bad things at the state level, again, true. The founders recognized that and relied on people not to be complete morons. But they didn't trust the people completely, which is why they created some federal rights. Eight, no one really wants to live in an originalist countries. I do, if she means that legislators should, legislators should legislate and, get this, judges should adjudicate. She quotes UC Irvine law professor Erwin Chemerinsky for the proposition that if the court didn't impose its will, quote, this would mean the end of constitutional protection for liberties such as the right to marry, the right to procreate, the right to custody of one's children, and the list goes on. Yet, magically, for decades, the court did not read its preferences into the Constitution, and yet the country didn't descend into chaos and anarchy. That's because we elect people here. Yes, legislatures exist. Ninth and final point, a constitution that doesn't reflect changing norms and realities is a constitution that would eventually prove itself ineffectual and irrelevant. Filipovich says the judicial system cannot be neutered lest it fail to check the other branches, except that she wants the other branches to be incapable of checking the mystical wisdom of the judicial oligarchy. A constitution that changes at the whim of nine unelected judges means a country ruled by a clique, not by the people or their elected representatives. Even Filipovich has to admit, quote, of course the Constitution should be interpreted as it's written. But she then says that what she means is that judges should interpret it as they wish it had been written. The Constitution, in other words, should have more positions in, than Cosmo, and they will all be less satisfying. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so that lengthy introduction was meant to illuminate you to the issues surrounding what the left thinks of what judges are supposed to do and what the right thinks of what judges are supposed to do. And that means, as you can hear, all the logic, all of the decency is on the side of the right on this one. When it comes to originalism, the decency in the judiciary is all on the side of the right. And we're about to go through what should be the best time of Trump's presidency so far, the Gorsuch hearings that happened yesterday, the day before. They're happening today as well. Judge Gorsuch is doing a terrific job in front of the Judiciary Committee. I'll talk about some problems with the system of judicial nominations and why they're a problem, why, they, why that system is crappy. We'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to say thank you to our advertisers over at Tracker.com. Tracker may have saved my marriage. My wife loses her phone every single day. She also loses her keys a lot. Actually, I have to admit, I lose my keys and wallet a lot. So Tracker is this thing that's like the size of a coin, and you attach it to the object that you're afraid you're going to lose, and then you can call it, and then it tells you exactly where it is. It rings, it beeps. It's finding over a million misplaced items every day. Order yours right now, and you will never lose anything again. I promise you, I use it all the time myself. It's thetracker.com, promo code BEN. And you get a free Tracker Bravo with any order. Great product. Very excited to be associated with them. And, uh, and thank you, Tracker, for helping my marriage be better, because it means that I'm less annoyed with my wife. My wife is less annoyed with me and wants to murder me less. <laughs> tracker.com slash Ben and you get that discount. So it's, it's a really terrific, again, it's a terrific piece of uh, technology. And thanks to uh, Austin and the crew for making that beautiful animation of my wife uh, looking to kill me. I uh, really, really appreciate that. Okay, so... The, the news yesterday and this week outside of the Gorsuch hearing has not been good for President Trump. We'll talk about Trump care in a little while. We'll also talk about some of the issues surrounding Russian connections. It's a big story about Paul Manafort, who's the former Trump campaign manager. Apparently, he was working very closely with Vladimir Putin's allies for a number of years. And we'll get to that in, in a little while. But first, I want to talk about what should be the high watermark for Trump's presidency. The reason I want to talk about this is because I want to point something out. A lot of people have been saying that nationalist populism, this kind of new style Trumpism, that that is where the popularity of republicanism and conservatism are going to lie. That if we change over to this nationalist populism, that's where conservatism is really going to be great. That's where, that's where conservatism is really going to be able to do yeoman's work. The Gorsuch hearing shows the opposite. The Gorsuch hearing shows that traditional conservatism, and I mean small government traditional conservatism with checks and balance and separation of powers, is still a more powerful idea than the idea of some great god king on a hill deciding who gets to have a job and who doesn't get to have a job. Gorsuch's hearing are the best thing that could have happened to Trump. They, are, they were great. Uh, Judge Gorsuch did a terrific job. Uh, you can see it started off with Ted Cruz, the senator from Texas, asking Neil Gorsuch, about originalism and, and stating Democrats have caricatured the thing. It serves well to rebut the caricature that some on the left try to paint of originalism. And so under the caricature that some of the Democrats have suggested, you would assume the originalists in the case would all line up on the side of saying, well, gosh, the Fourth Amendment doesn't cover that. And, and yet the Kylo case, the majority opinion, 
5-4 was written by Justice Scalia, perhaps the leading originalist on the court. Okay, and uh, and he's right about that. Gorsuch proved in this hearing that originalism is a is a hardy philosophy that makes perfect sense. Again, the judiciary has a different role than the legislature. Okay, legislatures make law. The judiciary applies the law according to the wording of the law. When the judiciary starts doing its own thing, as Alexander Hamilton said, it loses its reason for existence. And Gorsuch is very clear on this, which is why you know it's it's interesting. I'm not sure that Trump is going to be all entirely happy with every decision Gorsuch makes. So all credit to Trump for nominating somebody who may rule against him in certain cases. Here is Judge Gorsuch talking about what it means to be a judge. He says, your personal views should not decide the law. My personal views, I'd also tell you, Mr. Chairman, belong over here. I leave those at Mr. Kotschel yesterday said that what he wants is a fair judge. That's what I wanted as a lawyer. I just wanted a judge to come in and decide on the facts and the law of my client's case and leave what he had for breakfast at the breakfast table. And part of being a good judge is coming in and taking precedent as it stands. And your personal views about the precedent have absolutely nothing to do with a good job of a judge. Okay, so the last thing that he says there is actually somewhat troubling for conservatives, and I would like to see conservatives drill down on this. So there's something in judicial philosophy called stare decisis. Stare decisis means a case has already been decided. It just means precedent. There's always been a lot of controversy over how much respect to give to precedent. If a case has already been decided, is it something that you should follow or is it not? So there are lots of cases in American history where the judiciary has decided that a case was wrongly decided 50 years before and they overturn it. Roe v. Wade would be a good one to do right now. And we still don't know what Gorsuch would do about Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, the, in, in cases in history where we overturn a judgment include things like Plessy versus Ferguson and Brown versus Board. As I mentioned, Plessy versus Ferguson said segregation was okay. Brown versus Board says it's not. Another obvious case is Obergefell about gay marriage, which overturns uh, a bunch, a, a whole string of cases uh, at the Supreme Court level. Lawrence v. Texas, which said that uh, there was no state capacity to criminalize homosexual activity, that overturned a, a much earlier case called Bowers versus Hardwick in 1989. So, stare decisis is really a way for judges to pick and choose. And and this is why I hope that the conservatives in this committee drill down on Gorsuch and say, OK, how do you decide when precedent rules and when precedent does not? The most consistent person philosophically on this at the court was not Scalia, actually. It's Clarence Thomas, who says stare decisis is stupid. Basically, if the case was wrongly decided, I'm not going to pretend that it's a better decision just because it was decided 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The reason that this matters is because here is, for example, Gorsuch talking about Roe v. Wade as precedent. This is clip eight. One of the facts and one of the features of law that you have to decide it on is on the basis of precedent, as you point out. And for a judge, precedent is a very important thing. We don't go reinvent the wheel every day. And, and that's the equivalent point of the law of precedent. And we have an entire law about precedent, the law of judicial precedent, precedent about precedent, if you will. Those are all factors that a good judge will take into consideration when examining any precedent. You start with a heavy, heavy presumption in favor of precedent. Alexander Hamilton said that's one important feature. I think it was Hamilton. Said one important feature of judges. If we're going to give them life tenure and allow them that extraordinary privilege, they should be bound down by strict rules and precedents. Okay, Francis so Bacon. Here, here, here's the problem with, with some of this, and the reason I don't believe in precedent, again, it allows you to pick which precedents you choose to follow and which ones you don't. What would be really great in these hearings, honestly, and the, reason, the only reason to have these hearings, Democrats destroyed the notion of a judicial hearing. It used to be that you could just say to a judge, okay, Roe v. Wade, bad case or good case. Every law student, every person basically has an opinion on whether Roe v. Wade is a bad case or a good case. Certainly anyone who's ever read the decision with any sort of legal head understands it's a bad decision legally, even if you like the outcome. You know, it shouldn't be out of balance to say Roe v. Wade, bad decision or good decision. Right? These should be these are questions we should want to have answered before we actually get to put somebody on the Supreme Court. And Democrats don't have any qualms about asking these questions. They say openly that they have litmus tests with regard to their own people, that they issue these litmus tests. If people would would uphold Roe v. Wade, then they're appropriate for the court. If not, then they wouldn't. 
But because Democrats have vowed to basically shut down any justice who has a clear-cut opinion about important cases, well, you end up with these, these very milquetoast hearings. In any case, Gorsuch does a good job with the milquetoast hearings. You wouldn't expect him to come out and say Roe v. Wade is a crappy case, because if he did, then presumably a bunch of Democrats would attempt to filibuster him, and some Republicans would break off and, and join because they're weaklings. That said, Gorsuch uh, does a very good job of, of navigating smoothly what these hearings are, which is basically an opportunity for him to explain his philosophy in the most general possible terms and smack down allegations against him. So here's an exchange that was pretty great where Dick Durbin from Illinois, who's just an idiot, uh, claims that Gorsuch is anti-woman because he once taught an ethics class in which he talked about the law regarding sexual harassment. And here's Gorsuch just smacking Durbin around like a pinata. Senator, those are not my words, and I would never have said them. I didn't say that. I asked you if you agreed with the statement. And I'm telling you, I don't. <laughs> Owie! Uh, and, uh, and here's the thing about Gorsuch that, that I do like, is that he seems like somebody uh, who is not going to be beholden to political interests. So he was asked specifically about President Trump's attacks on the judiciary, and here was his answer. Uh, this is uh, uh, five. I know these people, and I know how decent they are. And when anyone criticizes the honesty or integrity, the motives of a federal judge. Well, I find that disheartening. I find that demoralizing because I know the truth. Anyone, including the president of the United States. Anyone is anyone. Okay, and and that is, this speaks... You know, well of Trump that he nominates a guy who's willing to go out and say stuff like this. Uh, Gorsuch really smacked around a bunch of Democrats yesterday. Al Franken was uh, was was criticizing the confirmation process and Gorsuch smacks around Franken as well. Senator, there's a lot about this process I'm uncomfortable with. A lot. But I'm not God. No one asked me to fix it. I'm here as a witness trying to faithfully answer your questions as best I can, consistent with the constraints I have as a sitting judge. Okay, and uh, and again, that's, I think, good stuff. The fact that Al Franken, the, the Stuart Smalley, is out there like quizzing him is just insane. Okay, the fact that Stuart Smalley is on the Judiciary Committee quizzing him about cases he knows nothing about. I mean, he knows nothing about Chevron deference. He knows nothing about any of these issues. It's just completely crazy. But, you know, that's the way the system works. The biggest problem, as I say, with these judicial hearings is you never get any good answers. You never get the answers that you actually want and that you actually care about. So, for example, Gorsuch is asked again about Roe v. Wade uh, by Lindsey Graham. This time he's asked if Trump asked him to overturn Roe v. Wade, and here's Gorsuch's answer. In that interview, did he ever ask you to overrule Roe v. Wade? No, Senator. What would he have done if he if he'd asked? Senator, I would have walked out the door. It's not what judges do. Okay. They don't do it at that end of Pennsylvania Avenue, and they shouldn't do it at this end either. So he's objecting to so he's objecting to the idea that Trump would ask him to overturn a ruling. Okay, the fact is that Trump, I hope, asked him, how would you rule on Roe v. Wade? Not, you have to rule to overturn it, but how would you rule? I, I would ask that. If I were president, I would ask any judicial appointee how they would rule on controversial cases, because this is stupid. The only reason you, you, you appoint a judge is if you know if they have a good long history of ruling in a certain way. Now, the reason I like Gorsuch as a nominee is because he does have a pretty good judicial history of ruling on some controversial issues, and he has generally ruled the, the correct way. But what we've ended up with is a judicial confirmation process that actually makes the system more vague, not less vague. And that's that's a, a real problem. For example, Gorsuch is asked how he would rule on the Muslim ban. Same sort of thing. Here's what he says. Now, does the First Amendment allow the use of a religious litmus test for entry into the United States? Senator, that's an issue that's currently being litigated um, actively, as you know. Well, and you I, know, I'm, I'm not asking about the litigation in the Ninth Circuit or anything else. I'm asking about the fact, is a blanket religious test, is that consistent with the First Amendment? Senator, we have a free exercise clause that protects the free exercise of religious liberties by all persons in this country. If this feels clearer to you, then, then somebody let me know. He, just a minute ago, Gorsuch in, in the hearings was asked whether he accepted that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. He said, yes, I accept that it's the law of the land. That doesn't mean he wouldn't overturn it, right? He could still overturn it and accept that it is currently the law of the land. 
these these confirmation hearings don't do anybody any favors because they actually make the answers more vague, not less vague. And that's the fault of the Democrats who have politicized these hearings to the point where anybody who disagrees with them about a case must immediately be ruled out of line uh, because they actually want to use the judiciary as a way of cramming down their own policy preferences. We have to say thank you right now and I'd like to say thank you to our, our friends over at My Patriot Supply. Right now, if you are concerned, North Korea is making all sorts of noises about violent things that they want to do. They just released a video yesterday about how they want to blow up a U.S ship. Uh, They fired a missile at Japan. It failed, thank God. But there are real threats out there, and emergencies happen when you least expect them. If you call 888-803-1413 right now, or go to preparewithben.com right now, preparewithben.com, you can do something that will make your family significantly more likely to be safe in an emergency for just $99. You get a four-week emergency food supply for just $99. Earthquake, tornado, fire. I mean, there are plenty of reasons why terrible things happen in life. Natural disasters, man-made disasters, and the government can't always get to you uh, for a little while. And that's why it's important that you have a four-week emergency food supply on hand for just $99. The folks at My Patriot Supply do it better than anybody. Right now, go to preparewithben.com, preparewithben.com, and order it. Uh, My team says that the meals taste really good. Uh, Preparewithben.com, 888-803-1413, 888-803-1413. 1413. Again, it's basically a one-time investment uh, in your safety because these things last forever. And that makes, or at least for, for dozens of years, I, I think, is the, is the case, like 20 years they last up to. Uh, and so, you know, you, maybe in 20 years you have to reinvest for 99 bucks. But for the moment, you're, you're pretty well set. So go to preparewithben.com. Make sure that you are prepared in case of emergency. Uh, it's the least that you can do for your family. Okay, so Gorsuch does a really good job. And uh, and Gorsuch, you know, does is is very solid in these hearings. He navigates all the shoals well. The Democrats make fools of themselves. They just keep saying stupid things over and over and over again, just repeatedly. And it's a great moment for Trump, right? This would be the best moment for Trump if we weren't all distracted with Russia stuff and Trump care stuff and all the other things that Trump is busy shooting himself in the foot with. So Democrats have been struggling because they don't actually know what to do with this. So what they've decided is that they're going to come up with an an alternative strategy. They can't actually lay a glove on Gorsuch, so what do they do? So Brian Williams, the fake news anchor at MSNBC, he says that it is obviously tough to lay a glove on Gorsuch, who knows what he's doing. It's tough to lay a glove on this guy. I didn't see a single glove laid on him. This has been a slam dunk in terms of his initial Q's and A's. You're going to see some of the more intensive questioning, but they have not, as you put it, laid a glove on him. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're upset about that. So what do they do? Chris Matthew, I always say, guys, I'm coming out of the show. I come out here, talk about Neil Gorsuch. Why? I don't know. Who's Neil Gorsuch? Hi. Let's talk about it. Go. It's about starting to fix the system. A president nominates a Supreme Court justice. The Senate deliberates on the nomination. We will not get back to such respect if we let Trump exploit the vacancy Mitch McConnell created. We cannot allow these two opportunists to complete what we call in basketball the alley-oop play. One guy throws the ball high up there above the basket, and the guy standing there right underneath jams it in. I don't want to see Donald Trump stuff his nominee through the hoop. Why? Because it's not his turn. It's Merrick Garland's turn, and everyone knows it. Vote nay on Gorsuch. Demand the 60 votes and don't give them to Trump. It's not this guy's turn. It's not his guy's turn. And all the charm and dancing and Mr. Nice Guy is not going to change it. It's not about Gorsuch or even Trump. It's about Mitch McConnell and the brand of low-level politics he stands for. Get it? Don't let him. Don't let him. Please. Don't let him take a three-pointer. And then there's a rebound out to the free-throw line. And Jordan goes up. And then he alley-oops to Scottie Pippen and jams it through. You shouldn't do that with judges because judges don't fit through hoops. That's the thing. That's the thing that I'm trying to explain to you right now. It's good now. You always say, come out of the shoe. Talk about basketball. Little Showtime Lakers, huh? <laughs> So their new case is basically that Gorsuch is a great nominee, but he can't be put through because the Republicans refused to vote on uh, on Merrick Garland, who is President Obama's nominee to fill Scalia's slot. This isn't going anywhere. Let the Democrats blow themselves up on this one. It should be a great moment for Trump. Now, as we continue, we're going to talk about some not so great moments for Trump. Plus, there is a breaking news story that I have to tell you about a couple of stories that that. Are, are, I think, going to, you know, I'll talk about the political fallout from them, but they're pretty incredible stories. We'll talk about them. Um, but you're going to have to go to dailywire.com and subscribe right now for that. $8 a month gets you a subscription to dailywire.com. Right now, if you become an annual subscriber, you get a free signed copy, a magical signed copy of the most comprehensive book on Democrats ever 
sort of written, Reasons to Vote Democrat, a comprehensive guide by Michael Knowles. The, the Amazon bestseller sold tens of thousands of copies, making a sickening amount of money off of it. But we are giving it to you for free, and you get to see, you get a free signed copy at DailyWire.com when you become an annual subscriber. Uh, or if you just want to listen to the rest of the show later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud. Make sure that you leave us a rating. We are the largest conservative podcast in the United States. Okay, so other stories that are benefiting Trump right now. It's, it's not all bad for Trump. I'm going to get to the bad for Trump in a little while because he does have some problems uh, that, are, that are not great. Uh, first of all, there is a breaking story out of Britain that looks very much like a terror attack. Uh, when I say there's political fallout that helps Trump, that's because if the left continues to pursue this policy of multiculturalism, uh, they are going to get more terror attacks. This is another case of that. On Wednesday, according to Daily Wire today, an alleged assailant was shot by British police after one policeman was stabbed inside the palaces of Westminster, home to British Parliament. At least a dozen people were injured on nearby Westminster Bridge, and according to one member of Parliament, two people were shot outside Parliament. They're describing the guy as an Asian. So the way that they describe things in the British press, when they say that somebody is an Asian, uh, what they mean is that they are a South Asian, meaning that they are um, of Arabic or Pakistani extraction. Uh, That's usually what they mean when they say Asian, unless they mean an actual person from, like, Japan, but that doesn't sound like this is what it is. Police cordoned off the streets. A medevac helicopter landed in the area. A witness told Sky News he saw a man looking as if he was carrying a knife or small firearm walking toward police officers inside the parliament campus. Uh, Witnesses described seeing a car crash into the perimeter fence on Westminster Bridge, hitting pedestrians before the driver ran toward police officers guarding parliament. At least three shots were heard. People described seeing two people laid on the ground. Apparently, the alleged assailant was shot by armed police, but one police officer was stabbed. Apparently, uh, Prime Minister Theresa May was there, but she was spirited away. She is safe and okay. So we'll keep bringing you updates on that. Other stories that are helping Donald Trump today. Again, Donald Trump has been making the case a very convincing case that we need to control our borders. Again, regardless of how you feel about illegal immigration, and, you know, I'm somebody who actually doesn't believe in the notion that illegal immigrants are, quote-unquote, stealing American jobs or undermining the economy or any of that stuff. I don't think that illegal immigrants should be able to get government benefits in any way, shape, or form. I don't agree with the idea that if you have a baby on this side of the border, suddenly you ought to be getting thousands of dollars of government benefits. I think that's a problem. Um, But I do think that it is imperative, and I've thought this my entire career, that it is imperative we know who's crossing the border for safety and security reasons. No country worth its salt should have a completely open border. Well, there's a story that's coming to a head now in Rockville High School in Maryland. Last Thursday, two illegal immigrants were charged with raping a 14-year-old girl in a bathroom at Rockville High School in Maryland. Well, at a press conference on Tuesday, the superintendent of the school district addressed the crime by defending the school's admittance of the two illegal immigrants, declaring, quote, it is wholly and entirely inappropriate for any of us anytime, anywhere, to say we're going to deprive a 6-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 15- and 18-year-old of an education because of one, quote-unquote, horrible incident. According to the charges, the two illegal aliens cornered the girl in the bathroom on Thursday morning while school was in session and took turns holding her down while sexually assaulting her. No school officials apparently heard her crying out. The teen girl reported the attack to the officials and they called the authorities. They arrested both suspects on campus on Thursdays on degree of, on, on charges of first-degree rape and two counts of first-degree sexual offense. The reason this matters is because the government supposedly didn't have any sort of of control over these people. They just went to public schools, and the government didn't bother actually vetting them. The two alleged rapists had recently entered the country. Recently, okay? These aren't six years old. So you hear the the superintendent saying, we can't ban a six-year-old for coming to public school. First of all, I don't think that that's true. I think that one of the reasons for having a public school that is available to American citizens is that it is available to American citizens. You actually have to be a citizen to go to public school. I don't agree with the with the general Supreme Court decision that says that every child in America, regardless of immigration status, has a right to go to a taxpayer-funded school. That doesn't seem correct to me. It seems to me that if parents want their kids to go to taxpayer-funded schools, they should go through the system, because the education is first and foremost on the parents and secondarily on the society at large. But this isn't even a case of a six-year-old who was admitted when he was an illegal immigrant and then now at 17 raped somebody. These people were apparently admitted to the country illegally very recently. They have outstanding orders from ICE. Okay, so that's how recently they're here. There's outstanding orders from ICE to get these kids, yet be, and they're not kids, 17 and 18 as young men. Because the school system doesn't require any information regarding a student's legal status, they're recently enrolled in the ninth grade class. Okay, again, wouldn't this be a problem? They're 17 and 18. They're ninth grade classes. Okay, that in itself is a problem. You have illegal immigrants who are coming in without any sort of, of say-so from the federal government. They're being admitted to school without any sort of background check, and then they're being put in classes with a bunch of 13-year-olds. 
Yeah, that, that seems like a, a recipe for, for genius. The school district didn't hold a press conference until yesterday. Again, none of this is good. Smith, who is the, uh, who is the, the, the superintendent, he said, I want to reassure our parents that the children are safe and that we will work vigilantly over the coming days. We've been working all weekend and yesterday to look at every single aspect of our safety plan, everything we do, and we're going to put something out in the next few days, certainly by early next week, with the latest to our principals. And then he said, we do not know what anyone's immigration status is in the school system because the law says we don't collect that and we don't. Then you're not doing everything you can, are you? Then you're not doing everything you can. End of story. It's it's really insane. Uh, the, the, The school district sent a letter to parents, by the way, noting the incident and then refusing to actually acknowledge that the kids were illegal immigrants. So, again, all this does is is help Trump's case that we ought to be having better vetting of people crossing the borders for sure. Now, all of that said, Donald Trump would be having a fantastic news cycle, actually, politically speaking, if it weren't for the fact that his team just seems to be chaotic all the way through. So Trump care, it's still, it's supposed to be up for a vote tomorrow is the original plan. The original plan is that Paul Ryan is going to bring up Trump care for a vote tomorrow. The problem is that it is wildly unpopular. There's a good shot that Republicans get killed in the House if they pass this thing and it doesn't pay off. Here's the thing. If they just repealed Obamacare and then things got quote unquote worse for the time being, They could at least say, look, we made a promise that we were going to get rid of this system and we're in the process of making it better. That's going to take a little while. I think people would hear that. What people aren't willing to hear is we replaced it with a system that we like better and that system sucks. The system doesn't actually accomplish what it's seeking to accomplish. Senator Mike Lee of Utah, who is one of the, maybe I think the most conservative member of the Senate here, Ben Sass, uh, and most consistently conservative member, he points out, look, Trump care does not even bring costs down. I mean, they're talking about bringing premiums down. That's not what this bill does. Look, one of the things that has caused the cost of health care to spike so significantly is the regulatory section of the Affordable Care Act, which has put insurance companies in a position where they've increased their premiums and the cost of health care across the board has gone up. This bill does far too little about that. It does very little at all. Uh, would bring premiums down. And that's the concern I have with it, is what this would do to the cost of health care. We've got to bring that under control. This bill doesn't do that to a degree sufficient for me to vote for it. And good for him, because the fact is that this bill is not a good bill. Apparently, there are a bunch of senators who oppose it. Rand Paul opposes it as well. Mike Lee is is standing in opposition to it. Uh, That puts basically, I think there's one more who's already said that he's standing against the bill. So that means that this bill only has 49 in the Senate. Apparently, there are 26 members of the House who are already saying that they're not going to vote for this, uh, which puts this thing right on razor's edge in terms of will it pass the House or will it not. Ann Coulter, who has been obviously a big Trump fan, and she was actually good, good for Ann Coulter for being ideologically consistent. Uh, she said, look, Trump's numbers are tanking here, and that's because he's focusing on Obamacare light. She tweeted, Trump's numbers drop, uh, dropping is significant. Trump got elected for wall deportations and trade. Instead, he's doing tax cuts and Obamacare light. And there's something to that. By the way, if you were just doing tax cuts, he'd be much better off. The Obamacare light thing is tanking his numbers. Nate Silver said the same thing yesterday. Nancy Pelosi warned that Republicans will be held accountable if they pass a bad bill here. It, just finally, when you think about 2020, when you think about the next presidential race, I mean, how do, do you think Donald Trump is going to make it four years? Do you think? I don't know. It's up to him. It's up to him if he obeys the law. But the uh, I'm not thinking of 2020. I'm thinking of 2018, a matter of a year and a half from now, but almost a little more than a year and a half from now, uh, the referendum, the first referendum on Donald Trump will come forward. This vote that they're asking their members to take is a terrible, terrible vote for them. Even if the bill is changed in the Senate, which the president says would he's even saying, oh, it'll be changed, it'll be changed. Well, they're still accountable for the vote that they took in the House. Nancy Pelosi should know, right? She actually should. I mean, she's actually not wrong on this. She actually should know because the fact is that Nancy Pelosi lost 63 seats in the House after passing that crap known as Obamacare. So she should know, and she's right, that if, if they pass a really unpopular bill, it doesn't lower premiums, it doesn't lower costs until 2021, which means the cost lowering never really materializes. Republicans will pay a price for that, and they're not going to be able to go back to their constituents and just say, look, we repealed and replaced if the actual outcome is garbaggio. It's not going to work that way. Meanwhile, I don't know what Trump's team thinks they are doing with regard to this Russia thing, but they are handling this so ineptly, it's really insane. Today, there's an Associated Press report about Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort. So Manafort presided over Trump's campaign for five months. Here is the report according to the AP. This is a crazy report. Quote, 
President Donald Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, secretly worked for a Russian billionaire to advance the interests of Russian President Vladimir Putin a decade ago and proposed an ambitious political strategy to undermine anti-Russian opposition across former Soviet republics, the Associated Press has learned. Manafort proposed in a confidential strategy plan as early as June 2005 that he would influence politics, business dealings, and news coverage inside the United States, Europe, and the former Soviet republics to benefit the Putin government, even as U.S.-Russia relations under Republican President George W. Bush grew worse. I don't find this shocking at all, by the way. I was approached, must have been 2011, I was approached by um, a, a fellow who shall remain nameless, who is a Republican operative, who said that he had a good story on Hillary Clinton uh, about what was going on in Ukraine. This is somebody who worked very closely with Paul Manafort. I'd never heard of Paul Manafort. I didn't know about Manafort's sort of connections, although I found out. So I wrote this story because it seemed like a pretty good story for Breitbart, uh, just on the basis of doing a little bit of research on my own and seeing that Basically, the, the, the story was essentially that Viktor Yanukovych, who was then the Ukrainian prime minister, was a, uh, was a, a fellow who was being – he was on the – very close to Putin. He was on the outs with the opposition, but a lot of the people in the opposition also had significant connections to anti-Semitic parties, which is true. It's, it, uh, I think her name is uh, Timoshenko. Uh, she had some significant connections to anti-Semitic parties inside Ukraine. So I wrote this story about how Hillary Clinton was very close to to a bunch of people on the other side who were who were a uh, who were close to anti-Israel groups. Uh, we put up that piece, did a little bit more research, and then I find that Manafort is uh, is very very tight with not only Yanukovych but also with Putin. So the idea that they were attempting to shape media coverage inside the United States, I don't find shocking because they successfully were able to pitch me a story that they didn't pay me. For, obviously, I don't get paid for my stories except by the outlets that pay me, but they were able to successfully pitch a story uh, to me, and I know that they pitched stories to other people uh, that helped shape coverage regarding Ukraine. Now, I was in favor, by the way, of the ouster of Yanukovych in Ukraine. Uh, in any case, Manafort was obviously involved in a lot of this sort of stuff. He proposed in that confidential business strategy that he would help shape all of these politics and business dealings and news coverage. He pitched the plans, according to the AP, to Russian al aluminum magnate Oleg Deripaska, a close Putin ally with whom Manafort eventually signed a $10 million annual contract beginning in 2006. $10 million annually. I mean, that's like playing shortstop for the New York Yankees. According to interviews with several people familiar with payments to Manafort and business records obtained by the AP. Manafort and Deripaska maintained a business relationship until at least 2009, according to one person familiar with the work. Manafort wrote in a memo to Deripaska, we're now of the belief that this model can greatly benefit the Putin government if employed at the correct levels with the appropriate commitment to success. Now, here is what Trump should have done when he found out that Manafort was involved with the Russians. Fired him. Right. As soon as I found out that Manafort was involved with the Russians, just as a reporter, I said, I'm never using th these people as anything remotely resembling a source again, even though I had independently verified a lot of the details they were talking about, just because I'm not going to trust the foreign press agency for the Ukrainian government that is in the league with Vladimir Putin. OK, all of that being the case. Manafort uh, denied in March 2016 any ties with Putin. He called such allegations absurd. They were not absurd. My guess is what happened here is that Trump hired Manafort, hearing from a lot of people that he was this expert black ops operative in Republican circles, uh, and he then was able to, you know, he, he was then able to um, get in, Manafort was able to get in with Trump, and then Trump found out about it, and then Trump fired him. That would be the best possible explanation here, is Trump should have said, look, I didn't do my vetting, I should have done better vetting on Manafort, it wouldn't hurt him at all now, he's president already. And he could say the same thing about Mike Flynn, he could say the same thing about Carter Page, a former foreign policy advisor to Trump with ties to the Russians. Instead, Team Trump is going out there and pretending these people simply don't exist, which is really, really stupid. Okay, because when you say, I never knew this person, all you're doing is tempting the media to dig into your relationship with all of these people. So you had Sean Spicer saying that Manafort had a, quote, very limited role for a very limited amount of time with the campaign. That's insane. He was the campaign manager for five months. Carter Page. He was named specifically by Trump as one of his foreign policy advisors. Kellyanne Conway said on Fox News that... The president doesn't know these gentlemen. He didn't work with them. Then why did Trump specifically name them? Spicer repeated that fib. He said Carter Page is an individual the president-elect does not know. Must have been a different Carter Page. They did the same thing with Mike Flynn, who was the actual national security advisor for five minutes. Spicer said Flynn was only a volunteer for the campaign, like he didn't actually wasn't involved with the campaign. All of this, all it does, the reason it's stupid is not because anything nefarious actually had to happen. Okay, the reason this is stupid is because the more you deny things that are obvious to everyone, like you had a relationship with people who are pro-Putin, the more you got a problem. And the more you are attempting fate, because the media will keep digging here until they hit bedrock. Okay, time for some things I like, things I hate, and uh, we'll do a little bit of Bible talk. So, things I like. 
we're doing monster movies this week. Uh, I, 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 actually, you know, let me, let me do first. Let me say first thank you to our sponsors at Birch Gold. So if you are, uh, if you are looking to invest in precious metals, if precious metals are something that you want to put some of your money into, which is what you should do, then you need to go to birchgold.com slash Ben, birchgold.com slash Ben. These are the people with five-star rating from a bunch of, from pretty much everybody who's tried them, A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. And you can call them right now to request a free information kit on physical precious metals, birchgold.com slash Ben. Right now is a time where there's a fair bit of financial uncertainty. Uh, the stock market had a bad day yesterday. Uh, you don't know what Trump is going to do. You don't know how the international economy is going to affect America's economy. You ought to have at least part of your portfolio in precious metals and gold. You can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds and into precious metals. Uh, you should have part of your portfolio there. I do. Birchgold.com slash Ben. Those are the people that I would trust to invest in precious metals. Okay, time for things I like. So, uh, as I say, we're doing uh, monster movies. Uh, and... Uh, I was recommended one by Mathis Glover last night, and I, I have to admit that it was not good. Um, I saw the host last night, um, and uh, our producer—I saw, yeah, I saw our producer Mathis recommended it to me. I like a lot of the movies that Mathis likes. This was not one of them. Uh, I thought that it was goofy and overlong. Um, it it took a long time for for them to get to the point. Um, it, it's also it, interesting. I did a little bit of reading about the movie. Also, it has a significant amount of uh, anti-American material in it. Apparently, it's based on the situation in which American soldiers polluted a river, and so they actually exaggerated that for the film. Uh, and uh, and they they said that it was supposed to be sort of an anti-American diatribe, like look at these Americans who don't really care about us routine. Um, in any case, uh, it was it was not my uh, not my favorite film. Uh, better monster movie. I, I rewatched Godzilla with my wife last night, as per our, our things I like yesterday, uh, and she really enjoyed it. But the the original King Kong is still the king of all monster movies. Uh, the original King Kong is a great film. This is of course one of the most famous scenes from the original King Kong, made in 1933. It's like an hour and 25 minutes long. I'm with my wife on this. I think that half the movies that are out there right now could benefit from being an hour and a half rather than two. Everybody wants two hours at the theater. An hour and a half movies would be much better. King Kong is a really short, tight movie. A lot happens in it. Uh, and the special effects actually, still the, in, from 1933, like you know they're going to be cheesy. They're from 1933. They still hold up to a certain extent because the complexity of the special effects. I mean, they, they use stop action for the entire film, which is an amazing thing. Uh, and uh, here's a little bit from the film. Attention all stations. Kong is going west. He is making for the Empire State Building. Stand by for further reports. If he goes up there, what can we do? We won't be able to get near him. Kong is climbing the Empire State Building. He is still carrying Antaro. That is all. That licks us. There's one thing we haven't thought of. What? Airplanes. If he should put Ann down, and they can fly close enough to pick him off without hitting her... You're right! Planes! Call the field! Oh, boy, what a story! State Building. And this is, of course, one of our famous scenes in movie history, where all the planes start flying around him and Kong is fighting off the planes. Gives away the ending of the movie, which everybody already knows. Uh, little little point of information that's kind of fun. So Kong in this film is about twenty five feet tall. That's that's how that's how tall Kong is in this film. Uh, his his size has varied widely across the various Kong films, uh, and it's actually a problem because now they're going to make this King Kong versus Godzilla movie, and Godzilla is the size like Kong is climbing the Empire State Building. Godzilla is the size of the Empire State Building, right? If you watch the new the new Godzilla, the two thousand fourteen Godzilla, he is as big as the buildings. He's a giant, giant, like he creates tsunamis by getting up out of the water. So it's so you have a bit of a like if if it were if it were Godzilla versus this Kong, he would step on him and then breathe fire on him, and that would be the end of that particular battle <laughs> because Kong is like twenty five feet tall. Uh, they've increased the size of Kong. I think in the new film, uh, they they say that he's like about two hundred feet tall. So he's still so Godzilla still has a sizable height advantage. Godzilla is like three hundred and sixty feet tall, something like that. Um, but he has varied widely over time. So in the in the Peter Jackson version of Kong, he's still only about thirty feet tall. <coughs> 
Excuse me. Um, but there is a... Uh, but they're going to have to fix that that discrepancy. I think maybe what they're going to say is they're going to say that Kong is still growing, right? In the new King Kong film, they say that he's still young. So maybe they say that he's going to continue to grow. And then you have these two giant monsters going at each other. They're going to have to figure out something to do because otherwise Kong just gets mashed by Godzilla almost immediately. Okay. Uh, the other things that I like. So I have to admit that I laughed. Uh, at the judicial hearing yesterday, uh, Judge Gorsuch was asked a question by Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona. And uh, it was one of the more bizarre questions ever. It was because in, in Reddit interviews, apparently, like they, they do these Reddit AMAs, which I've done before. And, uh, and people ask this particular question that Flake is about to ask Gorsuch. Said, ask him if he would rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck. <laughs> I've never heard it either. Okay, <laughs> I, I did laugh. I, I will. I will admit that that I laughed at this. I thought that was. I thought that was funny. By the way, the, the proper answer is that you'd rather fi- fight one horse-sized duck. That is the, that is the actual proper answer. They've actually done science. They, they went and they asked a bunch of scientists, like ornithologists, about this. And what they basically said is that number one, uh, a horse-sized duck wouldn't be able to fly because its wings have to expand uh, pr- on an exponential level, not on an arithmetic level, in order to make it fly. Uh, and number two, uh, the the duck is actually a pretty placid creature that doesn't really know what's going on. And even if it bit you, uh, it wouldn't be able to really bite you all that hard. So you really want to go after the the horse-sized duck. The, uh, a thousand small horses would would probably run you over and it would be unpleasant you don't want to be against a thousand of anything in any case okay time for a a thing that i hate okay so uh, there is this this hippie who was interviewed after some sort of criminal incident these interviews are really hilarious but it just demonstrates uh, that america has a serious public education problem here is this uh, here's this this bike this hippie skateboarder talking about a criminal incident and it just makes you weep for america i'm one of the heroes yeah. Yeah, can we talk to you? Do you mind? What do you want to talk about? What happened today? Well, went straight out of Dogtown, skateboarding, surfing it up. Before I say anything else, I want to say no matter what you've done, you deserve respect. Even if you make mistakes, you're lovable. And it doesn't matter your look skills or age or size or anything, you're worthwhile. (laughs) No one could ever take that away from you. Well. Now, this stuff right here, I was driving and I was, well, I was in the passenger side of this car and he comes over on there he was over by the recycling center he says oh when i was in the virgin islands 30 years old on a business trip i i i, I, I this 14 year old i was like you what he's like i raped this 14 year old starts crying gives me a big hug he's just like 300 pound guy i'm like oh shit. he must be <laughs> man like what's he talking about i didn't take him seriously at first he comes driving down this way he's like you know what i come to realize i'm jesus christ and i can do anything i want to and Watch this, bam, and he smashed into this fucking guy right there, pinned him in between that fucking truck. And so I, fucking, I hop out, I look over, the guy's pinned there. I mean, like, freight train riders know this. Like, if you get pinned between something, do not fucking move that shit, otherwise you bleed out. Like, motherfucker, I, I ran in, I grabbed the keys, he's fucking sitting there like nothing Okay, I can't, I can't deal with it, I can't deal with it. This right here makes the case against universal health care. Th- I'm not paying for this guy's health care. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not. Like, he can pay for his own freaking health care. Okay, like the, the he, uh, what, what, like what, uh, um, no, no, like I don't want to rule this guy's life, and that means that I can't make decisions for him. If I can't make decisions for him, I'm certainly not going to be held responsible for the decisions that he makes. Because come on, come on, uh, people were loving this interview yesterday. This is definitely going to end up auto tuned at some point because it is pretty spectacular. All credit to Dogtown Guy, who has inspired millions of children the world over with his acknowledgement that you have value as a human being. Uh, he says, regardless of your age or your looks or what you've done, uh, you're special and you have value. I-, I love that he let off the interview that way and then launched into a rant replete with the F word. Just genius stuff. Huh. Is our country finished? Well, you look at this fellow and you think, maybe. Okay, time for a little bit of Bible talk. So... With that out of the way, uh, this week's Bible portion in the Jewish community comes from the book of Exodus. Uh, this is the long part of the book of Exodus where it talks all about the construction of the, of the temple uh, and uh, really about the, of the tabernacle more specifically. So this is from Exodus uh, 37.1, um, and, uh, and it, is, it says, B'Tzalel, uh, who is one of the priests, made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. He made two golden cherubim. He made them of hammered work from two ends of the ark cover, one cherub from one end and the other cherub from the other end. From the ark cover, he made the cherubim from its two ends. And they had their wings spread upwards, shielding the ark cover with their wings, with their faces toward one another. Uh, Turned toward the ark cover were the faces of the cherubim. Okay, so why is this important? So, two things. First of all, 
you should see the sources for uh, for Indiana Jones and uh, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So this is why they actually constructed it that way because it's actually described this way in the Bible. Um, but second of all, uh, there there are a couple of points to be made by this. Number one, there is an order in the in the Bible that you are not supposed to make graven images, and then God commands the Jewish people to make some graven images, which actually is sort of contradictory, right? You would think, why is God doing that? He says not to do that. The answer is that God is allowed to make his own rules, okay? So we think that we understand all of God's rules. This is actually a really difficult one for all people who are reasonable of faith. You think that you're supposed to be able to understand all of God's rules. The answer is you're not. You know, what God wants you to avoid, the reason he doesn't want you to make idols without his direct, you know, approval of making, first of all, the, the ark is not an idol, but it's a sort of a conduit. The reason that, that God does not want you doing it is because when you establish your own idols, it is your reason that is driving you to establish an idol, and that idol is supposed to be a stand-in for you. Okay, when God tells you that he wants you to build a conduit like the ark in order so that you can have a closer relationship with him, it is God reaching out to you, not the other way around. You do not dictate your relationship with God. God dictates his relationship with you, and that means he gets to dictate the terms of the relationship, which seems uh, sort of which seems sort of difficult, but that's just the way that it is. The other thing that's cool about the way that the ark was constructed is it says that in the Bible it talks about how the cherubim, these angels, uh, when they were on top of the ark and they were facing each other, that showed that God was happy with the Jewish people, and when they faced away from each other, that showed that God was angry with the Jewish people. Again, the idea being that happiness in life and God's approval of you can be measured by the number uh, and, and quality of the relationships you have with other people. The happiest people in life are the people who see the face of God in each other, uh, and that's what the cherubim are supposed to represent. When we turn our backs on each other and we don't see the face of God in, in each other, uh, then God is angry with us as well. Okay, uh, we will be back tomorrow with the mailbag, and I'm sure there will be plenty to address. Plus, I guess the big vote is supposed to happen tomorrow. We will see if it goes forward. So much to talk about. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 